0: Daniel chapter 9, and we will be covering verses 20 through 27 today. And in, in verse 20 through 23, it's a kind of a lesson on prayer. And then in verses 24 through 27, it's a lesson in prophecy. You know, one of the things, I'm always examining my life. I'm always asking God to help me grow as a man, as a pastor, in every role and responsibility that I have I'm always thinking, Lord, what are we doing here as a church? And we want to glorify you. And yeah, we sing songs. And yes, we study the Bible. But Lord, what are you doing? And you know, he's always uh, sharing things with me. I pray that as we gather together as a church, that your heart would be impacted. I pray that it would impact your heart. And I pray that as we gather together as a church and we're doing all these different things, that your home would be impacted, you know, that you would go home and you'd be a, a godly man or woman, that there would be an atmosphere of agape in your home, that your home would be a sanctuary. But I also pray as we gather together that this place here would be impacted, that the church would grow, that we would thrive, that we would be faithful as a church and effective as a church. I'm I praying for the heart. I'm praying for the home. I'm praying for here. But one other thing that I pray really gets impacted is is heaven. I pray that as a result of all the things that we're doing here that that you that you would go to heaven and not hell. And that's that's something that's very important obviously that's you know the most important out of, out of all. I mean, where are you going to go when you die? Where will you spend eternity? Do you really know the Lord? You know, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? If you were there standing at heaven's door and God say, why should I let you in? What would you say? Because I went to church, won't get you in. You have to honestly be able to say that I have received Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior of my life. And, and as a Savior, you believe he died for you on the cross and he rose again. But as the Lord of your life, that means that he's the one who rules your life. He's the one who dictates the lines where they're drawn in your life. He's the one that says what kind of music you listen to. He's the one who says what kind of movies you watch. He is the Lord of your life. And he's not, if He's not Lord of your life, if He's not Lord of all, then He's not Lord at all. And that's how you can tell whether or not you're going to heaven or hell, is whether or not He is Lord of your life. He loves you. You know, I I was thinking, you know, today, you know, you got a choice. You can either have a messed up life or a blessed up life. Who wants to who wants to have a messed up life? Just out of curiosity, nobody does. But your life will be messed up. I promise you. You will have a messed up life if you choose to lead your own life. But if you choose to follow Christ, He'll bless you, and that's my encouragement to you today. not trying to be angry or mad or whatever, negative. All I all I know is that God has called us here to do a work and to just offer that gospel of Christ to you so that you would go to heaven. And we're going to see that today in our study. It's so beautiful that in the end, uh, one day, uh, all this will be done and we'll be home. For those of us who know the Lord. But God wants to impact your prayer life and God wants to impact us in prophecy. Look what we read here in verse 20. Of Daniel 9. It says, Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, who I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, "O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Here in verses 20 through 23, we have this lesson on prayer. Uh, if you remember in Daniel 9, the chapter began with the reading of the word of God. Uh, Daniel was reading the Bible, discovering through the words and prophecy of Jeremiah that the nation of Israel had been sentenced to 70 years of exile. And so now, as he discovers reading through Jeremiah, if you read 25, 11 through 12, or Jeremiah 29, verse 10, it says 70 years. That's how long they're going to have, right? It's about to end. And so... Daniel begins to pray. He begins to pray. And you know what, you guys? That's a beautiful byproduct of studying the Bible, you know, that, that God will enhance your prayer life. Uh, the Word of God inevitably leads to prayer to God for the glory of God. And so we see Daniel here reading the Bible, then beginning to pray and then, you know, in that study a couple of weeks ago, we went over the content of his prayer in Daniel 1, 1, through Daniel 9, 1 through 19. And so as you study the Bible, you discover that Daniel is definitely a man of prayer. Um, remember in Daniel 6, it says that he would pray three times a day, morning, uh, noon and evening. It said as his custom was from when he was just a little boy. I mean, Daniel, great example for us, a man of prayer. And then when they threatened, they said, hey, you can't pray to the Lord. You can only pray to this statue. When they, even when they threatened him that he would die if he prayed, he still prayed. And so Daniel is a great example for us. He's praying. And here in verse 20, we read kind of a sort of a summary of his prayer. notice it says again in verse 20, Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. You know, and and we see what he's doing while he's praying, right? How important, how vital it is to search our own hearts, to cry out for forgiveness of our sins, to repent of those sins, and to make sure um, when we're praying, that we 're dealing with things, you know, not just pointing the finger at the rest of the world, oh, they're so bad, you know, but um, that we identify with the sins of society, that there are those times when we 've done the very same things, if not indeed, at least in thought. And not only that, we must admit, you guys, we as a church have to admit that part of the blame. For us, for our children, for whatever it is that we want to, you know, point the finger at. Part of the blame is because we, we have failed to be the witness to the world. And sometimes even our family of the love and the holiness and the life of Jesus Christ. And so when we're praying, you know, there has to be that element of confession. And Daniel confesses his sins and the sins of his people and then... We read right here that he presents his supplication before the Lord. You know, he asked of God, he asked the Almighty, and he made his requests. Uh, We kind of see the content of those requests in verses 16 through 19 of Daniel chapter 9. Remember, Daniel 9 is primarily confession, 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 and then finally it's supplication. Finally, it's request. He begins to ask the Almighty. And when you go through this section right here, in verse 16, he's basically saying, Lord, let your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem. When I think of Almani, and I think I've told you this before, uh, and who knows, maybe more. Um, you know, I think sometimes that because we as a city have, have blown it, that God, in one sense, has sentenced us. There's almost a fury on this city. You know, um, I know I grew up in Almany and it's changed a lot. Um, but I'll tell you what. When I was growing up, man, my, a lot of, lot of, lot of gang violence. Uh, my father was shot in Almani. Um, my neighbor was stabbed. Uh, a lot of different things have taken place in this city. Prostitution, uh, pimps, drugs—you name it. And so we deserved it, right? But in one sense, I kind of see that fury. And so we got to pray, God, turn your heart, Lord. Let your fury be turned away. That's what he was saying there in verse 16. And then in verse 17, he says, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. He's praying for Jerusalem, right? And he's praying for the temple. He's praying for the sanctuary there. In verse 17, right? The, the, the church, incline your ear, he says in verse 18, and hear, open your eyes and see. Now, just pause for a moment. If you, have you ever prayed that that way? You're praying to the Lord, and you're saying, Lord, incline your ear to hear Lord. open your eyes and see right the things that are going on i love that lord listen and look and then in verse 19 lord forgive us and then act god move god intervene in verse 19 on behalf and i and i like what daniel says and he also says and and don't delay lord and i know everything is in god's timing man but But asking for the blessing upon Jerusalem, asking for the temple and the worship that would take place there to be restored, I think it's cool how Daniel he prays, and Lord, don't delay. Lord, even now, God, now do a work. And I always pray that, even for my own life. I pray that for the church. Lord, now, I'm not going to wait till tomorrow to change and become a godly man. Lord, even now, Lord, act. Don't delay. And that's what Daniel is praying. And what Daniel is asking for is for God to restore the city of Jerusalem with the people of God to return to the city and rebuild the temple for the glory of God, that the Jews would return to Jerusalem and be set free from the bondage of Babylon. Because that's what he had read in Jeremiah 29, and that's what he was praying. He was praying the Bible, right? And I, and I really want to encourage you guys To learn from this, you know, I mean, seriously, in your prayer life, not to to give you some type of a burden, man, but what a blessing it is to know how to pray. I mean, it would be good to know how to do other things in life. And some of you are very skilled in other areas of your life. And we all have different talents and gifts and things like that. But all of us here as Christians, we all can be good at praying, and so when you pray, you're identifying with the sins of society. When you're praying, you're in tune with the confession that needs to take place. And when you're praying, you know what to ask for. You know what to ask for. I remember, you know, the day came, Nehemiah, when the you know, king said, Hey, Nehemiah knew what to ask for. If God were to appear to you today and you saw him, and he says, Okay, I'll give you three wishes. <laughs> what would you ask him for? You know, you should know, boom, 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 this is what I would ask for. Daniel knew exactly what to ask for. And I want to encourage you to be specific in the confession of your sins and also be specific in the requests that you would bring up before the Lord. You know, and the only way that can happen, the only way you can know what to ask for is to know God's heart. The only way you can know what to ask for is to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. The only way you can know what to ask for is to be in the Word. But when you're in the Word and you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit and you begin to have a heart that beats after God's heart, then you will know what to ask for. And Daniel did. And you guys know yourself and you know the struggles that we have. At least you should anyways. I remember that time when Jesus was walking through town and, uh, you know, um, the Lord had done so many works already, but I remember there was this guy on the, on the road. There was actually a couple of guys, and, and they were uh, calling out to Jesus, Jesus, Messiah, Son of David, have mercy on me. And so everybody told them, be quiet. You guys are, you know, creating a ruckus here, right? And so they told them, be quiet, stop crying out. And, and, and the more they told them to stop, the louder they got. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Until finally, as Jesus is going through town, he's got all this entourage around him, he stops. And then he goes, and it's this guy named Bartimaeus. And so he calls him to him, and he says, hey, this is literally what he says. If you read the Gospels in Mark 10, 46-52, you have the story. This is what Jesus said. What do you want me to do for you? And if the Lord were to ask you that question, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? Well, we know for Bartimaeus, he knew Rabboni that I might see. And Jesus said, boom. Now you can see all the beautiful colors, the people and the things I want you to see. All that is, it happens through Prayer. That's why it's so important that we have a prayer life. That's what Daniel was doing. He was such a good prayer. We read in verse 21 that while he was still speaking in prayer, it's interesting. It says that while he was still speaking, the angel Gabriel, who he looks like a man, but he's an angel. It's the same Gabriel that Daniel had seen earlier in Daniel chapter 8, verse 16. And, and he comes now, it's the time of the evening sacrifice, so it's about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And so I think it's kind of cool the way Daniel writes the time of the evening sacrifice. And you're like, wait, wait a minute, time out, you've been in Babylon for how many years and you're still going by Jerusalem time? Yeah. Because remember I told you in the beginning when we started studying Daniel that they would try to Babylonize him? But they couldn't because Daniel... He says right there, he purposed in his heart not to defile himself. He was in the world, but not of the world. And he was still going by Jewish time. The time of the evening sacrifice. Warren be said his body was in Babylon, but his mind and heart were in Jerusalem. And, and so we read this, this angel. Look at verse 21. He was caused to fly swiftly. Now, there's not a lot of places in the Bible that talk about angels flying. As a matter of fact, there are some people who believe the creatures in Isaiah 6 and elsewhere in the book of Ezekiel are not really angels and that angels really don't have wings. And so I was reading all these different thoughts on that. You know, one thing I know for sure, angels are not those chubby creatures that you guys see in those statues and stuff. And what is it? I forgot what age they started doing them like that. You know, and I have a flame that maybe not. they don't all have uh, wings. I mean, Superman doesn't have wings, but he still flies, right? (laughs) I do know they fly, and I do know some of the cherub and seraphim have wings. So we don't know absolutely, 100% sure whether or not angels have wings. I do know that right here when he comes to Daniel, he flew. I do know that and i also know that he looks like a man so he comes and he's in an appearance as a man right and but when i was reading that to me it's kind of interesting you know when he travels from heaven to earth you know we're going to read more about that in daniel chapter 10 where it makes it plain that it takes time for angels to travel from heaven to earth and there can be demonic obstacles when angels travel from heaven to earth so it's interesting to me how the angel Gabriel was caused to fly swiftly, right? But I know something else that's really interesting, just in case uh, you ever look at the little margin of your Bible there, the notations, uh, the Hebrew language at that point is kind of difficult and is for that reason that some of the translations of the Bible, for example, the New American Standard, the New English Translation, instead of saying being caused to fly swiftly, They say being weary with weariness. Being weary with weariness. And in other words, what we read here is that Daniel is exhaustively seeking the Lord. He is fasting. He is mourning. He is praying hard. So hard that he's weary. He is tired. He is spent in his prayer life. You know, and again, you guys, I think God is calling us to this place as a church. How's your prayer life? For some of you here, I praise God because you have that conviction in your heart and you have disciplined yourself to become a person of prayer. But for most of you here, because statistics tell us that most people, even sometimes pastors, don't pray. But this is what I want to tell you. Never give up. Never give up on having a passionate, powerful prayer life. If necessary, you know you're you're working so hard, you're laboring so hard in prayer that you are, you know, exhausted because you are such a passionate prayer warrior. That's probably what happened here with Daniel. It definitely reminds me of the passage in Colossians chapter 4 verse 12 where the Bible says Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you. Always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. And I love that, you guys. That's such a great example for us to be like Epaphras, laboring fervently. It's where we get our English word agonizing, agonizing in prayer for your family. Agonizing in prayer for your wife. For your husband. For your daughter. For their loved ones. For this church. For the people that God has made you responsible to pray for. You are laboring fervently for them. Well, I do other things. And that's cool. Do other things. But there is nothing that you can do as powerful as praying for them. Laboring fervently for them. That they might stand complete. And that means that God... You know, he does that work. He finishes that work. He makes them like Jesus. He makes them what they were made to be. Isn't that cool? And so I think it's beautiful to see this. I also think it's cool. Look at verse 23. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, notice why, for you are greatly beloved. In other words, God loves you a lot. You know, and as we're praying, you know, keep that in mind, you know, keep that in mind. You know, God loved him. God loved Daniel. Man, he was an awesome young man. Then he grew and awesome old man. God loved him. And I know it's hard to believe, but God loves you. God loves you. God loves the person next to you. I know that's even harder to believe. (laughs) God loves us, man. It's so cool to know that, you know, God loves us all so much. Um, He doesn't have favorites. He shows no partiality. We, His people, are highly esteemed, valued, and loved by God. You know, um, it's so cool to see because God is love and we are created in His image. Um, You know, God shows no partiality. But I do need to say this at the same time, that if we are humble, if we are faithful in our lives, and especially our prayer lives, I have a feeling that we're going to see more angels arrive in answer to prayer. Because when we have that heart, God will take notice, and God will see. Look, I see the way He He loves me. He loves the people, and I see the way He prays. And that's where this angel came in. Yeah, I know it was definitely noticed by God. And you know, something too, just as a quick side note here, you know, can you think of someone in the New Testament who was beloved? Uh, One of the apostles? John, right? John was beloved. Daniel was beloved. And both these guys were privileged to see great prophecies. You know, Daniel is the key to prophecy. Revelation is the finale to prophecy. They were loved. And they loved the Lord. God will show you prophecy. God will show you these things if we have hearts like these guys. So it's a lesson, I think, in prayer, but then it's a lesson in prophecy. You know, we're going to see as we go through this uh, lesson on prophecy. Look at verse 24. It says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city." To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the Most Holy. Now, just in case, okay, we have a lesson in prayer, and there's so much there. There, I pray that we would become prayer warriors, okay? But now, we have a lesson in prophecy, and this is what's called the 70 weeks of Daniel. If you're taking notes, I would say verse 24 is the 70 weeks in total. So you have the summary of the entire 70 weeks. But then in verse 25 and 26, you have the 69 weeks to begin with. And then in verse 27, we have the one week to end. So it's good to be able to divide it up. First of all, the 70 weeks in total. Notice again there in verse 24, 70 weeks are determined. Now, the word weeks in Hebrew is Shabuah. Can you guys say that? Shabuah. Now you know Hebrew, okay? And, I, I, I you know, like the word decade means 10 or the word dozen means 12, uh, Shabuah means seven. Now, it could speak of seven days or seven weeks or seven years. And here, as is frequently the case throughout the Bible, the Shabuah refers to seven years. And the reason we know that is just because the context of the entire Bible. But it's also interesting to consider this. If you've ever studied hermeneutics, if you've ever studied the science of interpretation, what you find in the science of interpretation is an interesting thing called the principle of first mention. The principle of first mention. And that is... If you want to know the meaning of any given term, go to the first place it's mentioned in the Bible, and there you will find the key. And so we think of this word, do you guys know the Hebrew word? Shabuah. We think of that, and we're like, hmm, when's the first time that word is mentioned in the Bible? And in Genesis 29, we see Shabuah is used. And remember the story there is when Jacob served seven years for his wife, Rachel. And then another seven years for his wife, Leah. I read that in Genesis 29. In verse 18, it says, Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. Now that's pretty cool husbands, huh? And wives. Imagine that. If like the way that you would win your wife is you work seven years for her. No pay, just her. Would you do it? (laughs) I hope you would. You know, that's where we read the first, and then Genesis 29 20 says, So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. So how many years? Seven years. And they seemed, check this out, only a few days to him. Why? Because of the love that he had for her. Beautiful, beautiful story, right? But if you remember, those of you who know the story, how what happened was Laban, uh, that's uh, Rachel's uh, dad. Pulled a fast one on Jacob, uh, got him drunk, and then did a switcheroo of wives, remember? And he gave Jacob, Rachel's older sister, Leah, as wife. And so what happened, Jacob was obviously upset, but Laban had a simple offer. And here's where we read the first time the word Shabuah is in the Bible. In Genesis 29, verse 27, he said, Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me. Still another seven days years and so when you think of the shabu when you think of the word weeks there's the first time the word is found and it's in reference to seven years you see 70 weeks 70 shabuas is in reference to a 77 year period notice again there in verse 24 determined by god notice it says for your people and daniel's people we know were israel right but what's it, what's it going to do? What are these 70 weeks? Are all, what is it all about? What's it going to accomplish? And we have six things that are mentioned in this verse. The first three have to deal with sin, and the last three have to deal with righteousness. And the first thing he says right there, notice, is to finish the transgression. You know what that literally means? To end the rebellion. And that's what we're living in today. That's what we're living in. We are living in a rebellion. This whole world, it's crazy to see. You know, we see the word rebellion, the word transgression. It has its heart to finish this thing. And what it means is to establish an entirely new order on earth with an end to man's rebellion against God. You know, Gleason Archer, he said, This seems to require nothing less than the inauguration of the kingdom of God on earth. And so, to finish the transgression, secondly, to make an end of sins. Daniel was praying about the sin, huh? He was like, Lord, forgive us of our sins. And here's something that's really cool, you guys. When you pray, you know, you're asking for something, and God says, I'll give it to you, but I'm going to give it to you even, even way more than you would have ever imagined. Like you're praying for this, this guy right here. You're praying that you know, he'd be free. You know He wouldn't you know, go to prison or wouldn't stay in prison. And God says, I'll answer your prayer, but I'll, I'll give you even more than that. I will make him eternally free. See, that's what God's doing here. Daniel's praying for the sin. God, you know, forgive our sin. And God says, okay, I will. But Daniel, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make an end to sin. And I think of that, you guys, where there's no more sin, where God, there's no more sin. And man, to me, that's that's the epitome. That's what heaven is. I mean, think of that, you guys. Because how many of you guys, you know, you like to depress yourself by watching the news, just out of curiosity. <laughs> You're like, okay, let me get depressed now. <laughs> And you draw on the news, and you got murder, and you got incest, you got rape, you got upheaval in Iraq. You have all these crazy things that are going on in the world, right? And it's just sin, 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 right everywhere. You look in your own life, and you're like sin, 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 sin. It's an awful thing, but just when just think, you know, to an end of sin. Imagine that. See, that's what the Lord's doing here. It's just so cool. An end of sin. You know, John Lennon, he had that song. It was called Imagine. Imagine, he said, there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below, above us only sky. You know, John Lennon was a gifted musician, but that song is a lie, right? The truth is, heaven is a reality. It's real, But I still like to use my imagination. Imagine. Imagine. You know, my imagination, my contemplation is sometimes on that location, my destination as a Christian. Imagine there is a heaven. And and you know it, where there will be no sin. And I I read this and I think, wow, that's going to be beautiful. Look at what the Lord is doing. Seventy weeks are suggested. No, it doesn't say that, right? It says 70 weeks are determined. Seventy weeks are decreed to end the rebellion, uh, to make an end to sin. And he says right there, to make reconciliation for iniquity. See, and ultimately we know this was accomplished at the cross of Jesus Christ. And it will be realized, we will reap the benefits of this after the final rebellion, following the thousand-year reign of Christ. You see, God made everyone and everything, but then through sin it was all shattered. It was all scattered, right? It was defiled, but by the cross it's all reconciled. See, Colossians 1, 19 through 20 says, For it pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him were the things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace. How? Through the blood of his cross. See, this is what the Lord's doing. He is making an end to rebellion, an end to sin. He is reconciling all things to himself. And then the the three positive things he says right there is to bring in everlasting righteousness. You know, not just lasting righteousness, but everlasting righteousness. You know, all things right, the redeemed made right in God's sight forever and ever. He says right there to seal up vision and prophecy and see the day will come when all prophecy comes to an end. There'll be no more prophecy in heaven because the day will come when all prophecy will be fulfilled. See, that's what the Lord is doing. And then he says right there, and to anoint the most holy. Now, this is interesting. The most holy. Um, some people might think that's, that's Jesus. And, and it is possible. But, you know, Jesus was anointed um, when he was baptized. Um, he said in Luke chapter four, reference from Isaiah sixty-one one, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and and so it's it's possible that's in reference to Jesus. But you know what is interesting is the other translations say to anoint the most holy place. Now, when you go through the Old Testament, you find that phrase the most holy place. The word place is never there in the Hebrew. It's always most holy, most holy. So it's always determined by the context. And that's why there are some translations who translate this, the most holy place. And, you know, that's interesting because, you know, to me, uh, it, it doesn't, I guess it's not a, a huge deal if it's Jesus or the most holy place. But I tell you what, I know Jesus is anointed, but the most holy place, now I know what that is. When I read my Bible, I find out that that's when you go into the, the tabernacle or the temple and you go into the holy place, but then you go into the most holy place And that was where only the high priest could go in, and that would only be once a year on the day of Yom Kippur, with the blood of the sacrifice. No one else could ever go into the most holy place. But then when Jesus died on the cross, He said, now you can go into the most holy place. And when we die, when we die, and we're there, heaven, all of heaven, will be the most holy place. And to me, when I think of what God is doing here, to end the rebellion, to make an end to sin, to reconcile all things to Himself, everlasting righteousness. when I think of the way that there's no more prophecy because everything's fulfilled, when I think of the day, then forever I'll be in the most holy place because of the presence of God, that I will never, ever escape. I get so excited. I think, Lord, this is so cool, the way that you bless Daniel with this. You see, the, the first verse here, 24, deals with all the 70 weeks in summary. And then we look at this, the 69 weeks. In, in verse 25, he says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks the street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. And so again, there's that word, understand. God wants us to know what this means. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, and and there's a few other views as far as when this actually happened, when this date, you know, is uh, some. Believe it was a decree given uh, Ezra the rights to go and rebuild the temple worship. And we know also Darius made a decree giving Ezra the right to go forth. One was in 517, one was in 538. Uh, Artaxerxes made a decree uh, as well in 458. But I, I think when you just look at it, just real simple face value, it's what we what I believe and that is um, when artaxerxes made a decree giving Nehemiah permission safe passage and supplies to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and the walls and that was in 445 BC on March 14th 445 we have the exact date he says and he says Jesus the, the Daniel says no therefore Gabriel says no therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem Until Messiah the Prince, he says, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. And so you see the command here, and then you see the Christ, Messiah the Prince. There's no doubting who that is, right? And so, you know, there are some who say, well, this is when Jesus was born. Others say this is when Jesus was baptized. And there are a few that say this is when Jesus died. And I suppose all of those are possibilities, but overwhelmingly, uh, scholars believe that this is when Jesus went into Jerusalem on the donkey in fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, and he presented himself to the people. You know, and when you read it, and that was April 6, 32 AD, if you ever want to study this, you read The Coming Prince. Um, And it's a beautiful book by Sir Robert Anderson that just lays all this out in impeccable detail. And see, the day that Jesus came in on a donkey was unlike any other day. It was the only occasion which our Lord, in His earthly ministry, presented Himself openly as the King. And that's what we know the triumphal entry was. You read Psalm 118, verse 26. On that day, Jesus deliberately arranged the event to present Himself as the Messiah. On that day, Jesus welcomed praise instead of quieting it. On that day, Jesus made special reference to the importance of it. It's interesting, you even read in Luke 19, 41-42, when he wept over Jerusalem, he said, If you had known, even you, especially this, your day. You see, it's so simple, so powerful. From the day that that decree is made, March 14, 445 B.C., 69 seven-year periods, 173,880 days. It takes you to April 6, 32 AD. Jesus said, this was your day. And he came into Jerusalem on a donkey. You see the command, you see the Christ, and then you see the cross. It says right there in verse 26, And after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And that's what Jesus did for us. He died for us. He was cut off at the cross, right? But who did he die for? He died for us. And then we read the catastrophe. It says, And the people of the prince who is to come, and that's speaking of the Antichrist, but he says, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war Desolations are determined, and we know that the sanctuary was then destroyed in seventy A.D. When Titus came and just wiped out, they sieged the city and they wiped out one point one million Jews. The Roman army, right? So, what the Lord is doing here is the Lord's giving Daniel this amazing, this amazing prophecy. He's given him way beyond what he even had asked for, and and and, and then and then we go the last week. Notice it says in verse 27, And then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. You see, we went over the 69 weeks, and it's interesting too, we don't have time to get into all of it, but you know, you even wonder well why is a sixty-two, you know, split up right there. Um and, and it's interesting because the first seven weeks are in reference to the, the rebuilding of Jerusalem the first time. I mean it's just amazing how all this works together. But now the last week, these are all in the past. Okay, they have all been fulfilled. There's one more week left. Right now we're living in the time of the Gentiles. But can you see? Can you see how God is getting ready for a work to go on over there in Israel. Even the things that are going on in Iraq today, that's all part of God putting all the pieces of the puzzle together. You know, you've got you know amazing prophecies fulfilled. 1948, Israel becomes a nation again. Right, 1967, they regain Jerusalem. Uh, through uh, modern excavations and studies, they found out that the Temple Mount is not actually where the Dome of the Rock is. So they're going to rebuild that temple. The Jews believe that the one who's going to help them rebuild the temple is the Messiah. That's why they're going to accept the Antichrist. One week left, he's going to bring peace in the Middle East. Who can bring peace in the Middle East? If anybody can bring peace in the Middle East, I'll tell you what, they're going to esteem him highly. This is what happens. The Antichrist brings that peace. In the Middle East, that's what he says right there. He's going to confirm a covenant with many for a week. But what happens is in the middle of the week, he goes into the temple, and you read Revelation chapter 13, and you read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and you start getting a good picture of the Antichrist. Matthew 24. And Jesus even said what's going to happen is the abomination of desolation, where the Antichrist goes into the temple, and halfway through the tribulation period, And he claims to be God. See, he conquers the world through peace. That's why Revelation 6 says he goes out with a white, he's on a white horse with a bow, no arrow. And then what ends up happening is three and a half years into it, it's called Jacob's trouble from that point on. You know, in the Holocaust, one third third of the Jews were wiped out. But in that Holocaust, two thirds will be wiped out. The enemy hates the Jews. You know, it's interesting. I have a brother. It's on Saturday mornings. He always prays for the peace of Jerusalem. I love that. We should pray for the peace of Jerusalem because when we're praying for the peace of Jerusalem, we're not just praying for that Jerusalem, although we are. We're praying for that Jerusalem. See? And so there's this confirmation and then there's this desolation. But then at the end, it's so cool It says, if you have a New Living Translation, it translates it better. It says, until the end that has been decreed is poured out on this defiler. Or the New English Translation, it says, until the decreed end is poured out on the one who destroys. At the end, God's going to deal with the devil, right? God is going to defeat the Antichrist. And so... You guys, a lesson in prayer. Um, I think God wants to take our prayer life so much higher. You know, forgive our sins, the end of sin, you know, lasting righteousness, everlasting righteousness. God's people we gathered to an earthly Jerusalem. is cool, but how about the heavenly Jerusalem? You pray for someone, yes, for healing, and it's cool if they get healed physically, but how about spiritually? You pray for someone to be provided for. Isn't it cool how God, the Bible says, The Lord will provide himself. You know, you just think higher. That's what ended up happening. Daniel was praying and God just blew him away with his answer. But then the lesson in prophecy. You see, the book of Daniel consists of many prophecies, some that have already been fulfilled, given by God, so we can trust him for the future. You know, we won't be caught by surprise because we will rise to the occasion and we'll be ready for the return of Jesus. And on that day when we stand before God, we won't be sorry. We kind of know what's in the future, huh? Jesus is coming. The Antichrist is coming, huh? But we're not going to be here for the Antichrist, right? Unless you don't know the Lord. You'll get left behind, right? But we're ready. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 4, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. No, we know what's going on, right? Because we know the book of Daniel. And so, you know, you look at Daniel like, well, why did he prophesy about, you know, Medo-Persia? Why did he prophesy about Greece? Why did he prophesy about Rome? Why did he prophesy, you know, to the impeccable detail of the day, you know, when it comes to these things uh, about Jesus and all that? And it's just so that today, when we see all these things fulfilled, we can know without a shadow of a doubt what's going to happen in the future. Because God is sovereign and God is in control. And and I'll just close with this, man. I don't know what's been going on in your life. I don't know what is your master passion. I don't know what drives you. You know, what keeps you going, what gets you out of bed in the morning. But I do pray it would be for the Lord Jesus Christ the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And as I mentioned to you in the beginning, I pray that all this right here, yes, it would impact here. It would make us a strong church and that it would impact our, our heart, not just our head. Let it change our heart. Let it change your home. If you're here today and you're a hypocrite at home, it is time to repent. It's got to be real at home. And then one day we're going to see. One day it'll all be said and done. It's going to be over. And we're going to realize that what we're doing here in a simple church in Midway Center of Almani will actually make a massive difference in heaven. But you've got to live for the Lord. You've got to choose. You won't be sorry if you choose Christ. You know what John said? I must decrease so that he might increase. I pray that would happen in our life. Lord, we thank you so much for your love and grace. And Lord, uh, this word, Lord, to pray, this word about prophecy. Lord, I, I ask that we would know what you did on that cross. And Lord, I ask that today you would save anyone here who doesn't.